0: If someone was the only person prepared to put their hand up it's very hard to criticize the way someone does a role um so at times i wasn't happy where or, or how people were doing things and i with that mindset put my hand up and said okay well i'm going to run for that position as well um and probably had very little experience in that world and
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Jim Ballery, who grew up in country towns across New South Wales and Queensland. After working in the mines, he's now the founder and director of New Style Developments where he has undertaken over $30 million worth of property deals. Valerie may have been born in Sydney, but he's a country boy at heart. He took the skills and lessons he learned from working in coal mines and trade unions and applied them to the property development business he runs.
0: I'm the director of uh, the sole director of New Style Developments, and I guess my role is, is more about the oversight into working with our team, both internally and externally um, in development space. Uh, it's important that you have the right consultants, but it's also important that you do have the relationship with them to be able to to drive them and give them the right the right input. So it's all about making sure that I guess the buck stops with me to make sure that internally and externally we're doing the thing that's delivering the right result for our investors um, and making sure everyone's adequately safeguarded. Predominantly in the Brisbane City Council um, and, and more aligned to infill developments rather than the greenfield ones. Just feel that it's probably a lot better infill where I believe that they're a better product. The growth is more stabilised because the market's already established rather than the fluctuation that you might get in the greenfield areas.
1: Valerie explains on what infill versus greenfield is.
0: Okay, So an infill development is generally... Uh, referred to as a development that is being done within an area that has got significant infrastructure around it. So it's already got roads, uh, shops, um, schools, etc. that all the infrastructure is there, it's surrounded by houses that have been there for uh, quite a while. A greenfield development is more going into the outer suburbs of an area. Uh, A lot of times you're creating your own roads, at times they will often do master planned estates in those areas where they're creating their own schools and and shopping precincts as well so they're planning um quite a large area Uh, greenfield you'll generally see a you know thousand lot subdivisions uh, in in number of stages where infield could be anything from a a one to two up to you know sometimes 30 40 lot subdivisions Uh, but generally you won't find much bigger than about you know 30 to 50 lot subdivisions or a a big infill development no very much so and um you know they, they've got a i i guess it's it's something you know the volume's there for them they've they've generally been holding a property for a number of years and um, there's obviously a lot more there's, there's a lot more competition i guess when you're going against you know some of the really major players here that have held the property for a, a long time and bought at the right price. So, you know, it's for me, it's about not wanting to go and do that direct competition and keeping the unifield areas where we can be, you know, making sure that our competition is a general mum and dad sale. So we keep our new builds at the right price for the suburb and it becomes a, an attractive option for buyers.
1: He shares what a typical day looks like for him at the moment.
0: So any given day at the moment, uh, I guess, uh, I do have a team, so we've got um ben who, who does a lot of our operational and field work and, and uh, who provides our wind sales and, and development management and acquisition areas so the, <coughs> excuse me so there'll be a lot of interaction with them overseeing where developments are in all areas uh, a, a lot of uh, i guess networking and touching base um whether it be through consultants and upskilling or whether it be just interacting with people And assisting people out in their their small areas but generally it's a lot more oversight in looking at the bigger picture rather than um as much hands-on with the 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 nuts and bolts that's that's generally done by the consultants or our external or internal people and it's more the oversight and making sure that the the total picture is being you know moving the right way the strength is from the team and and that's you know where everything is as soon as you know you're relying upon other people to be doing certain areas, it's, that's got a big impact on how you can deliver yourself.
1: Valerie steps back in time to explore the places where he grew up.
0: I was actually uh, born in Sydney, um, uh, in, in Ashfield. Um, went through to Mudgee, uh, which is, at the time, it was a, a farming and a sawmilling area. Now it's, it's quite big with wines and coal mining um so mudgie in in new south wales country but moved to gladstone and started all my schooling in, in gladstone um and so you know from you know probably have the ability to be calling a number of spots home so you know it was probably four or five years old when i was in mudgie and then you know probably up to about six or seven by the time i got to gladstone so uh, not not a great deal of time to plant your feet in those other areas but um, yeah grew up and obviously they were good areas to grow up in obviously at that age you're with your parents and my father uh, was uh, quite into into carpentry uh, dovetail finishing and and some of the higher end cabinet making areas of of carpentry Um, so it was probably an opportunity where he acquired a sawmill out in the mudge area so um, it, it was in relation in there. It was the, the moving of the family out there to Munji um, to, to utilise and to be living there while he had the sawmill going. And you know, it was great to be able to run through in you know, a rural area and you know, running through the fields with my brother. And it was uh, you know certainly a much more relaxed environment, I suppose, to grow up in rather than city living. So I, I, I grew up in Gladstone um, and, you know, started to the work there the first time um you know probably had a significant accident when i was a young young fellow there too and that's where i uh probably in grade one or two i got burnt uh, through being boys being boys and playing in the backyard uh with you know fire and, and incinerators and aerosol cans and petrol they sort of don't mix so um grew up in there did all my education schooling there uh started doing some work there played a, a lot of rugby league growing up as well so uh, rugby league was a big part of i guess my sports and and my social circles uh whilst growing up uh, and that also led me i guess to be looking at moving out um into the coal fields into moorembar uh inland from Mackay, and to be working in the the coal mining industry it was probably certainly an assistant in uh playing a bit of rugby league and being able to play it at a level which was attractive to some other teams in regional areas to be going out there and and playing football giving me a start into the coal mining industry.
1: Valerie explains the locations of the different places he has lived and worked in Queensland. He shares how rural areas differ from the cities and why this is a great fit for him.
0: It's northern Queensland so Gladstone, Gladstone's in Queensland as well. It's about central Queensland um, and then Mackay's up towards the north Queensland areas. So, um, it's about four hours away from Townsville. Um so it's not right up at the peak, but it, it's certainly up in the northern part of Queensland, yeah. And Moran is a is a little place about two hundred kilometres inland from uh the coast. So it was out in the you know, very much the regional areas again where um you know, yes at the age that we were there, um <coughs> excuse me, there was um TV and other things, but they don't have, a, a lot of the rural towns don't have the added uh, entertainment districts or, or precincts or things like that. It's about, you know, interacting with people and, you know, I, I think for a lot of degrees that's, is a great way to get up board because it allows you to connect with people skills and being able to interact with people and talk to people and uh, that's a big part of life. If you can be talking to people, it's uh certainly a major head start. I was 21 years old when I went up to Mackay, um, so I had, had done a little bit of work, um, actually worked at Armaguard, um, being a bigger guy, uh, as a young guy as well. Um, worked in Armaguard for a while and did some uh, construction-orientated work in Gladstone, but when I was 21, I was uh, moving up to Mourimba and and stayed there for a uh, They're about 15 years and had a, had a great time in I Started off with, um, of all things, explosives. Um, obviously, having uh, had the incident when I was a young fella and being burnt, then moving into the explosive field. So I got to play with more dangerous toys. Um, but then it was moving into uh, doing a lot of machinery operations um, and driving the, the big trucks or, or the big loaders. And I guess that was good because it gave me a a real first exposure into property investing. Um, obviously, you're on a reasonable wage when you're in the coal mine. So that was the introduction to property investing and, you know, probably the the, the downside or the bad side of property investing where uh, you do have a lot of spruikers who will come and talk to high-income areas and high-income people. So I'd probably be fair to say that my first couple of purchases weren't the greatest greatest choice.
1: Valerie shares about his move from Moran Bar to Brisbane and at what stage in his career he decided to make a change and start investing in property.
0: Um, it was quite early, probably, you know, if I moved up there when I was 23, I think we were looking at our first house when we were about 23. So um, there was obviously the realisation and, and I guess as everyone does, the initial plan was to be working up there for a few years and, and set yourself up and go back to... The place you knew being Gladstone but it was it was living there and enjoying the lifestyle, enjoying the interaction with the community and, and making I guess actually when you do move you make new connections and new networks and it become something that, you know, living in, in Morumbah there you know, which is only a, a town of about 8,000 people at the time, um, it was great, it was uh, certainly what I enjoyed and certainly, you know what I probably still would have done other than um, progressing and, and you know moving into a a full time role with the trade union, which saw me to move down to Brisbane. So coming from more a Town of about 10,000 people down to Brisbane, um, it was certainly a, a a major change or difference. But it was um, you know obviously the right move at the right time, and it's allowed me to be continuing to move to where I am now. I guess it was it was more uh, along the lines of um, the coal mining industry is called a heavy, heavily trade union industry. It's, um, you know, quite militant in that area. Um, and it was from, what, I guess, the belief that you can't be criticising someone to do something you're not prepared to do yourself or, you know, if, if someone was elected unopposed to do something. So it's very easy for people to be criticising and Um, Being complaining about the way someone does something. But unless you're prepared to do it or, you know, unless that person has actually had a competitor, if someone was the only person prepared to put their hand up, it's very hard to criticise the way someone does a role. Um, So at times I wasn't happy where or, or how people were doing things and I, with that mindset, put my hand up and said, okay, well, I'm going to run for that position as well. Um, and probably had very little experience in that world. And um, for whatever reasons, I, I, you know, soon become um, a shift delegate, made my way through to become one of the lodge executive, um, you know, responsible in leading the the 500 so workforce. And then um, for that same reason, moved down to Brisbane and took on the full farm union role. It was the fact that the only person who nominated was someone that I didn't believe I'd be comfortable with them doing the job. So I either had to put my hand up or accept the way they did the job.
1: Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into Valerie's time working in the trade union.
0: And when you're, you're you know, looking after a workforce or a membership of over 10,000 people um, and seeing how many people had also been affected by investing in property in the wrong way, um, and probably a realisation that you know when you're out in the regional areas, it very hard.
1: Then his career prospects post trade union,
0: I became pretty unemployable. Where um, for for working as a blue collar worker, I would have been a union troublemaker. So there would have been people who wouldn't have liked the idea that I had. Played an advocate role looking after workers previously, so they probably didn't want me in the workplace.
1: Valerie explains on the first property he purchased. So there, there was I
0: originally, um, me, me and, and my partner at the time, we went to saw the local financial planner with a viewpoint of buying something in Brisbane, um, bigger market. We thought that that was the right option.
1: And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sharp, and you're listening to Property Investor. Valerie discusses how long the process of moving into full-time trade union work took him.
0: Uh, so that, that was probably over, over a, a period of time, um, you know, a couple of years, probably three or four years in working my way up locally and, um, you know, moving into the full-time role uh, in about 2005, which was, you know, certainly a, a significant change. Um, you know, and it would be fair to say that at the time, I hadn't embraced IT or technology as well as some other people and uh, younger people had. Um, and it was certainly something that I had to uh, adapt to a new way or a new life. I, I guess for the for the trade union, I, I was in the, the principle that the union, um, that the mining industry union was that the officials got paid the same as the people they were representing. So the wage of the officials was always based off what the coal mining wage was. And you didn't have the ability to run for a position unless you also worked in the industry. So it, it's, it wasn't a matter of people from outside the industry coming in and doing the role. It was people who had been in the industry and knew the industry. They were the only ones who could run for the position um, and to make sure that, I guess, the right people were able to run and were happy to run. That they had to maintain to make sure that the wage was also um, the same as what they could be earning whilst they were working in the mines. So there was no real change from the the wage point of view, but there was probably a bigger um, looking and and when you're you're you know looking after a workforce or a membership of over ten thousand people um, and seeing how many people had also been affected by investing in property in the wrong way um and probably a realization that you know when you're out in the regional areas there is it's very hard it's very easy for people to be going and making unrealistic offers or or comments and that um but you don't do the research i guess You, you don't do what you need to do there's not as much availability to fingertips, we're we're moving into a different era now, I guess, with the podcasts and and you know a much more uh, robust and established internet, where everything can be at your fingertips. And you know, to not learn is is your own fault. Um, that's certainly changing. But I guess when you're not exposed and you're not surrounded by that like-minded people, and you know, as you said earlier, that mindset that you need to be doing those areas, it's it's very easy to to be relying upon the, the views of other people um, when you're not exposed to uh, the support systems that you can get with inside property groups and, and property networks. So there was a realization and, and seeing that you know it wasn't isolated to myself. Um, there was a large number of people who had been buying the wrong way and you know, were severely impacted and and you know greatly up to debt and affected. You know, whenever there was a change to their workplace uh, because they had bought the wrong way.
1: He explains what he moved on to next after his time in the trade unions. He has always been passionate about helping those in regional areas access the same services as those in the cities and this is what he set out to achieve.
0: I guess it was seeing and realization and just myself it had been to other people um, having immersed myself in Brisbane. I moved into looking at more of a, you know, advisory service or or a, a one-stop shop where I could continue helping uh, people in the regions by giving them access to the right consultants, lawyers, accountants, uh, whatnot, um, based in Brisbane, uh, being able to analyse and, and look at things in a bit more detail um, in in purchases by leveraging to talk to the right agents rather than just listening to spruikers and just provide them a platform of information where they could go as a one-stop shop. So it wasn't daunting where they didn't know where they had to look or they couldn't work out where they should look. It was providing them an opportunity to have a, a large amount of resources and consultants in one spot to enable them to do some sanity checks on any, any investments they were wanting to do. Um, and probably it was during that time that there was a realisation that, um, you know, people still liked property and, and enjoyed property and wanted to be in property, but just a generalised buy and hold option, something they were wanting a bit bit different, you know, looking at something a bit uh, different to that and looking at uh, other ways that they could be involved in property um, rather than just uh, buying and holding as probably a... a you know, a level of impatience, whether it be or, or catching up for lost time and going, okay, well, how can we, do something that, you know, has got a bit more proactive nature to
1: it. We discuss when he made the jump to property development.
0: It was finishing my time at the trade union, I became pretty unemployable, where, um, for for working as a blue collar worker. I would have been a union troublemaker, so there would have been people who wouldn't have liked the idea that I had played an advocacy role looking after workers previously, so they probably didn't want me in the workplace. And uh, the fact that I, you know, as, as a secretary of a union, I, I was in charge of the operation, uh, the business world didn't see that to be a business acronym where that was only a trade union. So there was uh, a realization of having to create something for myself, and it was moving into, the development space and, and I've been involved in that since about two thousand and fourteen. Um, uh, realization that I, you know, through the choices that I had made, and I, I wouldn't go back on any of those choices now, but through the choices that I had made, um, it had led me to the path that I am now where there wasn't the ability to go back to a safety net and working and getting a wage. It was going, okay, well I need to um embrace the entrepreneurial outlook and, and create the wage for myself or create the the income for myself so there, there was i originally um me me and, and my partner at the time we went to saw sort of the local financial planner with a viewpoint of buying something in brisbane um, bigger market we thought that, that was the right option um, they talked to us about looking at other options, uh, one of which was um, a house in the Mackay area uh, in Newcastle Beach, and the second one was a house and land package on Bribey Island. Um, so they were the first two, and uh, it's fair to say that you know, I still owe more on what the properties were paid for. Some six or seven years after I'd purchased them, I still um, owed more than the property was worth. So, in looking at it now, there's a realization that, that it was a sprucer and there was um, a lot of incentives being paid to various people um, to get people to put their name on the line. Um, but as a 23 year old who was on good money in the mines, it wasn't uh, as much of a. You know, I had other things I was enjoying doing. I, I wasn't you know, going to be doing all this research. Okay, yeah, cool. I'm going to take the advice of that expert. That's what we'll do. Um, and I can continue to do what I was enjoying doing, being playing football and and enjoying life. So there, there wasn't the research that needed to go into it. Um, I think at the time, one of the, they were talking about Briarby Island. It was one of the last estates available in Bribey Island, which was, over 10 years ago and I, I do know that they're still opening up new estates in Bribey Island now so um, the belief that it was the last lot of uh, land, house and land available in that area without doing the research was certainly an attractive idea. Um, the fact that they're still releasing lots here now uh, makes me realize that uh, that's something I should have looked at a lot more deeper.
1: Valerie shares how many properties they have purchased for development, mainly for clients and how many properties he has in his property portfolio.
0: Uh, the last six years we've uh, probably done in excess of 12 or 13 properties, um, probably in excess of $30 million worth of transactions either buying or selling property. So, um,
1: had a little bit going on. Then he expanded on the types of developments he has done. I've done
0: department development previously, also townhouses previously. Um, I've done a new build, uh, a higher-end new build. Um, and land subdivisions but it's generally i guess through the path and the realization the land subdivisions are the area that i don't do want to play in as you hone your skills further within the development space um that's certainly the area that we are focused on now and that's our uh primary you, you could never say that you wouldn't explore something else um, because you don't know what is around the corner there could be something coming up that's just too good to refuse but our focus is certainly on the land and the, the house and land options so uh, providing the, the land that the builders can then package it up and, and utilize various selling methods to make sure that we can sell out the stock and uh, look after the investors who, who do come on board.
1: Valerie sheds light on his main focus at the moment which is land subdivisions and expands on if he partners with the builders on his projects.
0: We'll utilize a number of builders to provide people opportunities the, the build is, is certainly something that should be up to the buyer as to who they want to build through. Uh, sometimes there will be people who will be buying it through in investment channels and they will already have something packaged up, but it's always in a two-part contract where they settle on the land and then they have a contract with the builder. Number one, that provides them a better stamp duty opportunity because you're paying stamp duty on the land only. But it also provides them the ability to utilise an alternate builder if they wish to, or to utilise a builder where there has been designs packaged up as well.
1: For further clarity, he explains if buyers can build through his company as well as purchase the land. We
0: do work on having relationships to give people a uh, choice, um, and we can generally advocate on behalf of a seller to try and um, get the right price. But I mean, generally, there's packages done up that. You know, one block might have five or six different builders who have got a design on there and the, the buyer might choose which one works best for them or they might choose to engage with a builder themselves. It depends on how much time that person wants to put into it whether they want to be utilizing something that's already been designed or whether they want to design their own place.
1: He takes us back to a moment in time when he had one of his worst investments
0: looking at one that we did in Stafford which was uh, a few years ago now and it was on a busy road and you know we had done developments on a busy road previously um, and the realization and going okay well we were aiming uh, our, our goal was to have the lowest house and land or land availability in the suburb so we knew we were at the bottom Of the suburb, and we're going to have the cheapest available land in the suburb, which was you know reasonably close to the city, uh, and the cheapest houses available. I believe that the generalised the houses in that area were selling at about five hundred and forty, five hundred and fifty thousand. We were working on the idea that they were five hundred and twenty thousand, so we we were going to meet the bottom of the market. It was at the time that the Royal Commission and the banking happened and just uh, the availability of credit just dried up remarkably Um, and there was a a, a significant learning for us that once there is that credit shortage, uh, those people who can still get credit move up and they're looking for the A-class properties or the B-class properties or the C-class properties but there's no one left looking at the D-class properties. So they became properties that, you know, we, we certainly pushed and marketed uh, considerably. And essentially, they were significantly lower than we had hoped for, um, and based on what the evidence was that they would have achieved. Uh, and so as a company, we did, uh, <clears throat> we had a learning not to be doing things on busy roads now. Um, regardless of discounting because in times that money is hard um, people you know, can push their way up to the best lots rather than just being so relied upon set price everyone's prices has to come down and there's no one left at the bottom um, so yes we did we had a project that didn't perform and it performed negatively but that's something that we absorbed as a company, to make sure that none of the investors had to uh, have any absorption of that nature, uh, they still, <coughs> excuse me, they uh, still had their interest return if they were on an interest return basis, and uh, that's something we have to wear. So, as a business, um, you know, yes, we won't do those uh, those areas anymore, and that was certainly a learning for us, and it's one that we paid for. But uh, number one is that you've got to make sure that the people that you work with. Uh, significantly the investors, um, uh, there's a rule, isn't it, that an investment is about the return of capital and then a return on capital. So we want to make sure that there's always a return of capital um, and we hope to make sure that the return on capital is positive.
1: Valerie explores why he went down the path of discounting those properties initially and ponders if he could have done anything more.
0: This was just a smaller development. So it was only two house renovations at a back lot so we we combined both backyards and created one lot of lead, and it was two renovated homes. So there was no real ability to do much more. Um, yes, there could have been a holding of the stock, and we certainly did uh, explore that, but the structure that was set up and given that there was a, a few different investors, that isn't what they signed on for. So there was something that we had to go, okay, well, we'll sell them at a loss rather than having someone sign up for something that they they didn't want to do originally. So there was options that we could have looked at holding. We certainly did look at conversions into um, multiple, you know, mini boarding houses or or key person accommodation. Uh, but at the end of the day, there was, I guess, fatigue from people in saying, okay, this has been going, this is longer than we we want. So it was a matter of going, okay, we have to execute the the finalisation of the project for them.
1: To get us back on a positive track, he shares his aha moment. The
0: aha moment was through doing the education and, and, you know, it's important to continually improve yourself no matter where you are and what you're doing in personal development. You know, we are our own best at
1: Jim Valerie's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. Join us for part two where we'll talk about the relationships between the individuals involved in projects and the effects they have on the final product. So I am
0: very reliant upon the builder as well. You know, I can do everything right myself. And if the builder doesn't play their role or if they make mistakes or they don't build things to the right quality, that has the ability to affect overall
1: project how he makes decisions on which sites to commit to it comes down to the site
0: obviously so um the more constraints the site shows when you're you're doing the research so you know we've got some that you'd happily go unconditional on right away uh, because you know what the legislation says um you build up your network, I can talk to my town planner straight away, I can talk to my civil engineer straight away.
1: And that's next time on Property Invest Story. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 99 88 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market, and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short six months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040.